Are you wanting to live a life with more clarity and happiness? I'm Tammy Hill, a licensed marriage and family therapist, sex therapist, professor at Brigham Young University, and most importantly, a wife, mother, and grandmother. I am also an optimist. I strive to live my life on purpose, with purpose. I am here to inspire people to do the things that inspire them so that together each of us can change our world for the better. Join me for my Live Your Why podcast. Together we can live a life full of passion and purpose. Obtrusive thoughts. Holding on to things and not letting yourself overcome urges being impatient with yourself as you do things over and over again in life that you keep wanting to change. These are things that are so human and normal for all of us. On today's episode of the Live Your Why podcast, I'm excited to introduce you to a good friend and a wonderful coach, Sarah Brewer. She's going to talk to us about overcoming urges, having healthy thinking patterns, especially in face of getting over pornography use. I think that you will learn a lot from this particular episode. I know I did. So sit back and let's join Sarah. Hello, welcome to the Live Your Why podcast. Today, I am very happy to introduce to you a good friend and a woman that I admire very much, Sarah Brewer. Sarah has created a wonderful business around helping people overcome pornography habits and helping couples work together through pornography habits. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love you, Tammy. I love everything you do. Just love being a part of your world. Just excited, happy, honored to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Let's just jump right in and talk a little bit about overcoming urges while living your why. Because basically, Mm. when you choose to view porn or when you choose to overeat or when you choose to spend too much money or all the things that we do, we're choosing to give into an urge, right? Mm -hmm. And when we give into those urges, often we're not living aligned with who we really want to be, right? In the process. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so I know that you help people understand what urges are and know how to recognize them and choose to live aligned more or to live their why more. So I thought it would be kind of fun to start a little differently and have you tell us your why first. Then we can kind of know why you do what you do and as we move on through the program. Yeah, sure. So my why specifically for doing the work that I do is I want to be a healer. I want to be a healer. And when it comes to quitting porn, helping people quit porn, it's so much more about healing yourself than it is about being stronger or being better. And so I I love that identity for me as a healer and specifically Specifically, like my big, big thing I want to heal people from is shame. Mm -hmm. And I just see how much shame impacts porn use. And so it it really fits. It's a really key part of the work that I do. My life dramatically 
changed when I stopped using shame as a motivator for myself. And I see that in everyone else. And it's just one of those messages I just want to shout from the rooftop. Like you can't hate yourself into changing. Shame isn't useful. We don't need it. There's a much better way to quit. Mm. I love that. I love that you want to be a healer. I think that's mm. so great. I, I think it's such a charitable outlook to think that what I really want to do is help other people succeed. I want other people to feel happy by the choices that they're making. I want to help others live congruent with who they want to be. And I think our whys are similar that way. That's, I think, why I do what I do as well. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about urges and the ways that we self-sabotage. How do you... Mm -hmm as a person maybe, choose to live aligned? Like when you feel like you've relapsed or you feel like you're maybe slipping up a little bit here or there, is there a quick strategy to get back on course that you use personally that you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so I I call this and how I teach this to my clients is the learn and move on method. And so when you act out of your value system, and you notice it and you start to feel that guilt, this learn and move on system, it's noticing, noticing that you acted out of your value system. Number two, forgiving yourself, forgiving that part of you. Number three, learning from it. So using that as data. And then number four, moving on, choosing again, choosing something else again. The key components here are forgiving yourself and learning and using whatever you did as data. So if I'm to think of like a personal example, like one thing I've been trying to do is be really consistent going to the gym. And a few weeks ago, I I didn't follow through with my goals for myself. And so instead of sitting there and be like, oh, what is wrong with me? I just need to get up and I need to stop being lazy and I need to actually get going. I can stop and ask myself, okay, what is really going on? Okay, I'm noticing that I didn't follow through with my commitments. I can forgive myself for that. That's okay. I'm human. I'm going to learn from this. Looking at what was going on that day. So why didn't I go? What was going on? And I can't remember that specific day, but I I think it was, you know, it, it can be hormones. It can be, mm-hmm. I was just exhausted. It can be that I tried to get up early and go and maybe the better course of action would have been for me to go later in the day. And just recognizing, oh, wait, I actually hate that type of exercise. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I'm not going to be able to follow through with this consistently if I'm trying to do something that I hate. And so changing that and using it as data, really being able to look at it and then making changes from that place of I'm curious here. I'm curious with what's going on instead of I'm super judgmental. Oh, so you first of all, you notice it. You recognize mm-hmm. that you've lived outside of your value system. And then mm-hmm. you forgive yourself, say, mm-hmm. for whatever ways you do that. And then you gather the data or you ponder on why did I do this? What happened that made me do this, make this yeah. choice? And then with that data, you move on and and use it to help you make a better choice the next time. Right? Yes. So clients, let's say they slip up, they view porn, they notice that. And instead of just trying to push it away and feel bad about it and okay, next time I'll be better. Instead, we forgive that. We look at the data. I I have, you know, questions that you can ask yourself. 
what happened, what was going on. Just just looking at the data, sometimes they'll notice, oh, I was really stressed and I didn't handle the stress and I didn't notice the stress. And so I just used porn as an escape from the stress. And so using that data to, okay, what's next? How are we going to handle this next mm-hmm. time? And looking at it almost too, like, like it's a fun game almost hmm. instead of this is really stressful and okay, and now I have to be better. Like, like almost like it's a fun game, some, a puzzle we're trying to solve. Cool. So then what makes it so that what tips or what happens? Why does a person sometimes, because sometimes uh, one of the tendencies that I have is when I'm feeling all those things that you feel lonely, tired, hungry, I sometimes overeat with treats. That's kind of some Mm -hmm. way that I self-soothe that's not very aligned with who I really want to be or what I really want to do. And there's sometimes mm-hmm. I can totally recognize what's happening and do something different. And then there's other times it just doesn't matter anymore. I'm just going to go with the flow. I've done this my whole life. It doesn't really matter. Where is it that that shift takes place? How can we help? How can you help me? How can we help yeah. others tap into that split second of the decision? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is it's like in that moment, sometimes we just go with the flow Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we're not listening to that why, because it's just in that moment. Yeah. And so, so there's a difference between like planning and using that prefrontal cortex, which is that, that area of your brain where you can really access your why, access what you really want, plan ahead in your life. And then there's that lower brain, which is the urges, the desires, you know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just want this right now. And so in order to use that prefrontal cortex, we have to use it ahead of time. And so we have to make decisions ahead of time so that we're not trying to make decisions in the moment of the urge, in the moment of the desire. And so like, even if it's the day before with like if we if we stick with eating like deciding what we're going to eat and maybe yeah like maybe we want to have some treats that day and that's totally fine and we're going to decide ahead of time what we're going to have and when we're going to have it so that in the moment we're not making decisions you know with that lower part of the brain what happens when we're trying to make decisions (laughs) when we're feeling the urges in that moment is it's like you're just wrestling with yourself no I'm not going to but actually I am but no I don't want to but yeah, actually I am exactly when you yeah when you plan ahead of time you're like no I already made the decision and so yeah I want to but I already decided and I'm sticking with that mm-hmm. so typically then as you help people because this is helping us making decisions beforehand helps us overcome mm-hmm. impulses and decisions that we don't yeah. want to make is this part of their their routine to go to bed or how do you do that Yeah, it just depends on whatever, on the person and the individual. But we'll typically use this tool if someone is really struggling, if they're viewing a lot, like a lot more than they want to, maybe every single day, multiple times a day. And we'll just start by making it really easy and really doable. So instead of like, we're going to quit cold turkey, we're going to decide here at the beginning of the week what you're going to do. Okay, so what is one way that we can just start small where you can start trusting yourself to actually follow through with what you're going to say? When we say, oh, we're never going to do it, but we don't really believe ourselves. We're just lying to ourselves. We're hurting that relationship with ourselves. We don't trust ourselves. So we want to start building that trust that we're actually going to do what we're going to say. So maybe that's just, I'm not going to view on Thursday nights and I'm not going to view on Tuesday nights. 
and building that trust so that you believe yourself and you also trust yourself not to like commit to too much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just little baby steps then instead of I'm all in 100% never going to eat cookies after 4 p.m. ever in my life again. And then, of course, sometime down the road you do. And so you feel so bad, right? Yes. Yeah. Baby steps, steps, tons of forgiveness, tons of love. And instead of really what this is, is it's switching the energy from I'm trying to change because I'm not good enough and changing that energy to I'm trying to change because it's what I want to do and I'm good enough how I am, even though I'm doing X, Y, or Z and I'm a human and I want to grow and let's see what I can do. Let's see how I can overcome this. Let's see how I can be more in control because this is a joy to do instead of I have to do it. So I'm finally enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So good. So why do you think people self-sabotage? Why do you think that we make life so much harder for ourselves by slipping into these patterns instead of going to that place that you just described of, no, I'm good enough how I am. I want this more than anything else. So I'm going to choose different this time. Yeah, that's such a good question. It, In my opinion, it just comes down to our beliefs about ourselves. And so when I teach self-sabotage, I teach that self-sabotage comes from limiting beliefs is what I call it. And so when people come to work with me, they think that the work is going to be, okay, I'm not going to look at porn. But really the work is changing how you see yourself, changing mm-hmm. your limiting beliefs, changing like your identity, changing your relationship with yourself, that's deeper, harder work. And so, yeah, back to self-sabotage, it comes from limiting beliefs. I wrote a few, I wrote a few of those down. Let me see. Yeah. So beliefs like I'm not good enough. It's too difficult. I'm too addicted. I'll ask my clients to fill in the blank. So I want to quit viewing porn, but, and then the answer to that, but is typically a limiting belief that's going to lead to Mm self-sabotage. So, but too addicted. Okay. So when you're having that moment and you've decided I'm not going to look at porn, but you're in that moment in those urges and you're like, but I'm too addicted. I want to quit, but I'm too addicted. I can't, I can't control it. That's going to cause the self-sabotage. So in order to stop self-sabotaging, you have to change those beliefs about yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a lot deeper work Mm -hmm. than just trying to stop. Right. And and tuning in when you're telling yourself but because that negates everything you had just said previously. Yeah, it takes a lot more awareness. How do you work with couples when in a dynamic where one person's wanting to change and the other is, of course, wanting to help and support that person in change? So not all the time, of course, but frequently when you have a couple come together in marriage, typically with pornography, the husband would be the one that more had of the pornography habit than the wife. And again, like I said, not always, but we'll just use this as a stereotypical example. So he's coming to you, he's working, and he self-sabotages and self-sabotages more and the work isn't as progressing as well as the wife was really expecting it to or hoping it to happen. How do you support her? What do you think she needs to do to get the support she needs to remain strong within the relationship? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I have 
I, I just want to name drop a few people that I love who talk about this specific, mm-hmm. who focus specifically on the spouses. I know you do. Mm-hmm. And then I know Lindsay Pullman is a good friend of mine. And then Jessica Farmer, she she works with me in my program. They're all great coaches for the spouses. But supporting the spouse as they're trying to support the husband, mm-hmm. I think it's really important for spouses to recognize that they are just as worthy of getting support and help as their spouses. Sometimes, like if we're using the wife example, wife, husband, the wife thinks, oh, we should put all the money and all the resources and all the time into fixing him. And she's not getting the support that mm-hmm. she needs. There can be lots of things that are going on with, that, with the spouse. There can be, you know, often there might be feelings of betrayal to work through. Can be learning how to trust yourself instead of needing to have this person fixed to feel good mm-hmm. about you. Those are my first thoughts is be willing to get some support and help and put like time and effort towards as much time and effort as you're putting towards like giving them help and empathy and trying to help them change their beliefs. Offer that to yourself too, mm. by, by going deep. It's, why is this causing me so much pain? What am I believing about myself? Sometimes there's those beliefs like it's because I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. This is why they're struggling. Oh, like I can just feel that one. That is never true. That is never true, but that can be really deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. So looking at those beliefs and getting some help working through those, maybe there's, you know, you don't feel like you can trust that person like you wish you would have and being able to work through that and grieve that and then learning how to start by trusting yourself and trusting that you are going to always do what's best for you and your life and and your marriage. And then from that grounded place, you can help your spouse so much more and support them so much more if you're taking care of yourself and the struggle and maybe the betrayal and whatever's coming up for you. Yes, I think that's such good advice. I really believe that the spouses that are not viewing need just as much support and help as the ones who are viewing as the spouse who is viewing. I'll drop a couple names. I know Jeff Sturr is really awesome. I love the work of Adam Moore and in helping the betrayed spouse be able to get some self-care. Yeah. So what are your what are your specific ideas about looking for red flags in a dating or an engagement relationship? Because so many of the people I work with are still single and this is a big fear that people have if I'm going to get married to someone that is addicted to pornography, I'm not going to date them and it just gets to be because who hasn't seen some porn? on this planet. I don't know yeah. very many people who haven't, but I I <laughs> yeah. just wonder how what's what do you say to that? What are your suggestions for understanding dating relationships and pornography use? Yeah, right because this is such a good question because I think it's really important to to know that there are like you said most people have seen porn. Mm-hmm. And just like the porn there's so much more going on that are really the red flags and the porn is kind of like a symptom Mm -hmm. of some of those. And so we want to look a little bit deeper. And so some of the red flags that came to my mind is that they don't take responsibility for their actions, especially their sexual actions. Mm -hmm. They blame it on other people or they don't 
talk about it in a way that they are in control. They don't talk about their, maybe their porn use in a way that is like, I'm going to overcome it. Maybe they talk about it in a way of this is always going to be with me. And can you just be okay with that? It doesn't. And and that might be a limiting belief that they have to work through. They might've been told that their whole lives. And, you know, I don't want to shame someone who believes that that's, that's just not true. And that's something they can work through, but you, you want to watch out for someone who is just really like unmoving in that belief that they're going to always struggle with this Mm -hmm. versus there's a difference between someone who's thinking that and someone who is thinking, you know, I'm struggling now, but I'm working on it and I'm committed to change and I'm going to use this as a way to bless my life and to bless, bless my relationships. And then lastly, like the biggest red flag, and I hope we're talking more about this as a culture, but is that they don't respect consent. And so they, they push, push boundaries and they push you to do things that maybe you don't want to do. They, they don't listen to no or to signs where you aren't comfortable and they don't seem to be respectful of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that so often. That does need to be a bigger, yeah. a bigger symbol. I really appreciate, Sarah, that you didn't say that pornography is really the problem. The problem is mm. kind of what comes from viewing porn, which is sometimes we don't want to take accountability for the poor choices that we make and we make excuses for what we do or we try to blame other people for what it is we're doing. And then you talked about what is their attitude regarding pornography in their lives? Is this something that I'm just always going to have and it's something I don't think I need to really take action and work through because it's just part of me? Or is this someone that's really intent on making changes that are, are healthy for them? And then the third thing is making sure that you're observing if this person is forcing or pushing their sexual behaviors onto you and and demanding or wanting more sexualized activity that you aren't comfortable with. And in that situation, yeah. of course, you, if you're the, the person in this relationship, you're not being respected. Your boundaries aren't being respected. And that certainly is mm-hmm. a big red flag. I agree. Yeah. It's almost more, instead of looking at porn use, it's looking at relationship dynamics, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And is there the respect? Is there the love? Is there the willingness to change? Mm-hmm. And then using that as more of a gauge than yeah. whether or not they've struggled with porn. Right. At first, the relationship with themselves, are they going to own it? Second, yeah. they don't have a good mm-hmm. relationship within their dynamic that you have with as a relationship as a couple and they probably yeah. don't have much of a relationship with with God as they make those choices mm-hmm. so interesting i really like yeah. those red flags those are things you can look for that are much more important than have you ever viewed porn yeah and i i, I want to say tammy cuz i know so many amazing like amazing like i want to cry amazing people who have struggled with porn that are so worthy, that are the most worthy fathers, the most worthy husbands, the most worthy, worthy people. And, and porn use is not an indicator of whether or not they're good enough. Oh. And, and I just, like, I want all of your people who struggle with porn to hear that and to, to really believe that. 
And then I also want, you know, those of us who are maybe dating or trying to find someone like, like there's a lot more to people and porn use isn't about an overactive sex drive. And it's not about someone being out of control. Porn use is a sign of wounds and it's like an escape from pain. And so looking at what is below the porn use is going to give mm-hmm. you a much better indicator of, of, of how this person can fit into your life. I agree wholeheartedly. I have, I've worked with and I know so many really great people who struggle with pornography and boy, they are worthy. They are enough. They have so much potential yeah. and capacity for love and goodness. And to be like checked off the list on the third date or second date because you have a pornography habit or you used to have a pornography habit is so, so unfair. So unfair. To me, it's almost like, is the atonement even part or relevant in your perspective of what life is about? Because we're all here to change and progress and and not stay stuck, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Sometimes I think our, like these beautiful doctrines we believe in, the atonement and Jesus, it's like almost porn. Like we talk about porn and and we forget all of those or they don't apply. Exactly. And I think we have, yeah. Be so careful. I've thought the same thing about because I do what I do as a therapist. I'm invited constantly to talk about the law of chastity in church, different church settings. And I, of course, always incorporate the atonement and, and repentance and that hope that comes from change when we talk about chastity, but it's never incorporated into lessons on, (laughs) you know, cheating or stealing or viewing pornography or any of the other things that we do sometimes to, how did you say it? Escape pain or something? Escape emotion. Escape emotion. Escape pain, escape emotion. Mm -hmm. The idea of what's driving the behavior is key to understanding all of this for sure. Yeah, especially for spouses, when you recognize the root of it is they're trying to escape pain. It's not you. It's not that they're not getting enough sexually. It has nothing to do with that. It's that they're maybe they're feeling a lot of shame and they escape shame with porn or they're feeling stress and they escape stress with porn or even just, you know, it could be boredom that they're escaping or Mm -hmm. restlessness. It's yeah, it's really important to know that. Absolutely. Understanding what's driving it. You know, it's interesting. I had a couple, I've had this just a few times over the course of the years that I've done work as a therapist, but this last month, I think I've had three, I know I've had three couples, I think it's been within the last month or two where they've come in and pornography has been a challenge and the wife in all of these situations, it was the husband that was viewing and the wife was not. And in the disclosure to ecclesiastical leaders, the wives in each of these situations have been counseled by their bishops to have more sex with their husbands, that if they have more sex with their husbands, it's going to help control them. Now you can, there's so many layers of unhealthy ideas there, but tell me, Sarah, have you seen that? Has that happened for you too? Yeah. Or my, or like my clients who are trying to quit will be told, oh, well, once you get married, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you, you won't have yeah. to deal with it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I, whenever, you know, someone brings that up, I have people who have been married in my group. I'm like, is that true? And they're like, no, mm-hmm. it doesn't go away mm-hmm. once you get married because the root of it isn't that I need more sexual stimuli. 
It really isn't. That's such a disempowering view. It's it's this view that we can't control our sexual nature and that men can't control that. And that's just not true. And that men need wives to do X, Y, or Z so that they can control themselves. It's just an unfortunate belief system that I think our society has ingrained into men and it's it's not true. And so recognizing, especially, you know, my clients who are married and have a good relationship, they view because of escaping emotion, mm-hmm. not because they're too out of control or can't control their sexual urges. Right. It is so disempowering. And it goes back to the same paradigm that we've had forever, that women are the gatekeepers to sexuality and and we yeah. either let men in or we don't. But it's our responsibility to make sure that we do what it is, is best for the marriage. So... Yeah. As we're talking just for a minute about overcoming, we've been talking specifically about pornography. Any other suggestions that you could help with overcoming obtrusive thoughts or how can we observe our thoughts so that when we're in the frame of mind and maybe we didn't plan the night before or we don't have something ready, what do you say about obtrusive thoughts and how to observe your thoughts? Yeah, this is such a good question. I feel like I could talk about this part for like an hour, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the first things that come to mind. So the first thing, like we are always going to have automatic sexual thoughts. You are just always going to have some of those and that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And it doesn't mean that you're going to struggle with porn forever. We just live in a world that is hypersexualized. And so some of our conditioning is it's just like thoughts pop in there and they just happen. And so we don't have to make them a problem. We don't have to make it mean that there's something wrong with me. There's a difference between physiology and morality. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. heard me or or heard others talk about this. So physiology are just physical body responses, hunger, a sexual urge. Morality is what you do with that physiological Mm -hmm. symptom. So stealing a candy bar, you know, when you're hungry, isn't going to be the most moral thing to do. And and your choices after you feel that sexual urge is morality. So I just want to be careful that we never, ever mistake those physiological symptoms as morality, because it is not wrong to have those feelings or to have those thoughts or to have those obtrusive things come in. That is not a sin. Mm-hmm. That is just an experience. 100%. Body. So understanding Yeah. So understanding that first is really key. That will allow you to observe it without judging it and then make a choice on how to act. Mm, Good. So good. So when you're demonizing it, you can't. And now, now that we're not demonizing, it's like we can just watch them come in and out and notice that they kind of pass through and just notice what we're thinking it's a practice in mindfulness. And so the more you practice mindfulness, the better you get at this. But watching and then choosing how to respond mm-hmm. from a place of, oh no, or, or not from a place of, oh no, I have this thought. No, we have much, a lot more control. Yes, I love that. And when you feel like you are, you've had this thought and you're going to own the shame around the thought, that thought stays a lot longer. <laughs> it doesn't float on out, right? Right. Yeah. When we're trying to push it away, like, no, I shouldn't think that, or no, I shouldn't have this urge. It's like holding a beach ball underwater. Exactly. When you hold a beach ball underwater. Yeah. Right. It pops up. It, 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 it makes it, you know, have a lot more action. It doesn't go away. It's a lot, 
heavier. It's a lot tighter mm-hmm. if we're like, no, 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 no. So we just need to accept and then watch it. Right. Watch it go. Watch it go. I know that several years ago, I had a couple come that I was working with and he had been at the mall and had seen a really attractive woman. And he said, particularly, he thought she had a very nice butt. And he felt (laughs) so guilty for this. that He brought it up in therapy and his wife is there. And we've talked about obtrusive thoughts. And But he had retained, like for four days, he had been feeling so guilty that he had been looking at this woman's butt and thinking that it looked nice. And I think if you can Mm -hmm. pause and become that you know rather it's a it's just an a physiological thing or a moral thing and decide mm-hmm. this is physiological and then decide to let it go rather than retain it you can have so much more peace and you don't have to own yes. everything that just happens to your body because you have a body yes i cannot tell you the number of people i've talked to and worked with where they just feel like so much angst because they have had a sexual thought Mm -hmm. and how that actually makes it worse. That makes us focus on it more. It makes us push it down. It makes us act out. It makes us feel more shame. Then we get in the shame cycle, like all the things. So instead, oh yeah, I saw a woman at the mall and I thought her butt looked really nice. Okay. I'm a human. (laughs) So of course I'm going to think that. Breathe, move on. Perfect. Perfect. So let's wrap up today. You know, I get to teach these wonderful people at BYU all about marriage and sexuality. And I was curious, Sarah, with all of your years of experience and the expertise that you have in this particular field, if you were to come and be a guest lecturer in one of my classes one day, what would you really want to make sure those students learned from you? What do you think is the most important thing for them to know? Yeah, because knowing your students, so I was a BYU student, very kind of perfectionist, Mm -hmm. just wanting to be good. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would really connect with them in that way. And just the one message is that you can never shame yourself into change. And you actually change more and you create more goodness in the world when you completely love and accept yourself exactly as you are. The shame and the willpower are never going to work. There's nothing wrong with you. You are 100% worthy as a person, even if you make mistakes. And from that place, that's where you can really create the most goodness in the world. Mm, Perfect. Thank you. How can people get a hold of you? I have a free training on my website. If you want to listen to that. And that's Sarah. Sarah Brewer. Yeah, Sarah Brewer, S A R A brewer.com forward slash masterclass. I also have a podcast you can come and listen to. If you just look up Sarah Brewer, you'll find it. It's called Overcome Pornography for Good. And you can come follow me on Instagram too. It's just Sarah Brewer Coaching. Yeah, you have so many great resources. I know I refer a lot of people to you and know that they're in good hands when they come. So thank you, Sarah, for joining me today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. I love being here. Boy, I loved listening and working with Sarah today on the Live Your Why podcast. She's amazing. I think that I will take away from this particular episode the idea that we have a choice when we have a thought come into our minds. We can think, is this something physiological that our bodies are naturally responding to simply because we're humans and we don't have any control over what our bodies do? 
naturally with responses and reflexes? Or is this a morality issue? The thought that I'm having, am I choosing to do something that's lining up with my why and lining up with my values? That simple principle could be so helpful for so many of us as we try to navigate thoughts that come, thoughts that go, choosing to respond to ones that we're accountable for versus giving in to those that are just naturally happening because we're human. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Sarah Brewer, and I encourage you to go to the show notes, link, and review this podcast. 